following content is a PodCloud Network yeah. production. Hey, what it do, what it do, listeners. Today is Monday, November 13th, 2017. And I would like to welcome you to this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and a Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Remember, listeners, the show is live every Monday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and of course at LloydAThompson.com. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any live airings of the show. And you can always go back and catch previous tapings of the show. If you have any questions that you like for me and the Mad Mike to answer, you can shoot them through email to Lloyd at partmyfresh.com or you can directly send them through the website at LloydAThompson.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LloydAThompson. One word. Listeners, exciting show for you as always. The Jets crash back to earth and kill their playoff hopes with an ugly effort against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The New York Giants made the San Francisco 49ers look like the New England Patriots. As one New York team, I feel my hatred has been a blessing to them. I'll explain that to you in a little a little later in the show. The New York Yankees have two silver sluggers on their squad. We'll touch up on that some well, along with some other topics. So as always, guys, let's buckle up, sit back and relax, and start spreading the news. Hey, yo, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, like we always do at this time, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports with Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike. Let's go, fellas. What's going on, listeners? As always, you got to find out where the Mad Mike is calling from and where his whereabouts are today. Yo, Mad Mike, where you calling from today, baby? What's up, Lloyd? I'm at the Garden today. We welcoming, we're welcoming in, um, LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I hope we punk them tonight. Well, I tell you what, the Garden is a great place to be as it's the only exciting thing going on in New York right now. And in the intro, I was saying that my hatred has actually been a good thing for one of the New York teams. And that team that I was talking about is the New York Knicks because I've been the biggest hater when it comes to the New York Knicks for the last several weeks, for the last several months. And this team is actually throwing a mud pie in my face. But even though this team is throwing a mud pie in my face, Mad Mike, I still think that they're possessed by a winning demon. And at some point, we're going to have this conversation where I'm going to say, see, Mad Mike, I told you so. So when I speak to people, I tell people, don't fall for the okey-doke. And I'm sticking by my damn words right now, Mad Mike. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, what are you hoping for? For a five-game losing streak? So you could say, hey, I told you so? Well, I'm, what I see from this team is is a team that, that uh, is playing team basketball. It's, it, it, the more you see them, the more of a cohesive unit they look like. Like I said, you know, during uh, preseason, I said that this team, you're, you're going to know what you have a month into the season. You know, they they, they cut preseason by two weeks and now we're we're at where normally you'd be at the two-week mark now in the season this team looks good man they pass the ball they like playing for each other they defend each other um they hold each other accountable 
it's a good team, man. Now, I'm not going to disagree with anything that you just said, but what I'm hoping for is I'm hoping for a 20 to 25 win season so the Knicks could get a top three pick and this draft coming up. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm still hoping for, and I still believe that that's what I'm exactly going to get, Matt Mike. But with that being said, the Knicks waived a half-decent player in Mizgauskis Kaminskis to make room for a moldering skeleton and Joe Kim Noah, who is coming off his 20-game suspension, and he'll be active for tonight's game against the Cleveland Cavaliers, Matt Mike, at the Garden. Now, I say, what in the hell are the Knicks going to do with all these big men? Now, it seems like because uh, Kyle O'Quinn and Enos Kanter is playing really good, that leaves no room for Joakim Noah to play on the court. So you are you are the Knicks going to sit a seventy plus million dollar man on on the bench, man, Mike? Yeah. See, see, you you have to look at this uh, from two points of view. One, when the Knicks traded Carmelo Anthony, the Knicks didn't only get a center who's averaging a double-double on the season, and Enos Cantor. They also got a, a, a former first-round draft pick and Doug McDermott, so as I like to call him, you know, Dougie Buckets. Um, it, it, they, once again, we spoke about this also, right? The Knicks hadn't, hadn't found themselves a shooter uh, of this kind of elk since Steve Novak, where he could just catch, shoot, catch fire. You saw him catch fire earlier this week. I, I think he scored like like 22 on, on eight shots uh, on Monday night against the Hornets. No one no one thought about that piece, which is now why Kuzminskis, while, yeah, he is a, he, I, I happen to think Kuzminskis was one of the brighter spots on his roster, uh, but that's why he becomes expendable because now you're, you're dedicating yourself to finding out what Doug McDermott is. You know, OKC didn't um, invest in it, and neither did the Chicago Bulls, and now the Knicks have a chance to, to find out, you know, if this guy plays like a, the, the first-round talent everybody pegged him as, you, you know, you you got yourself a, a nice little, a, a, you know what I mean? You you got yourself a nice little talent there. You know, it's like having that top fifteen draft pick. You know, some three years ago. So I can see why they did it. Now, as far as Noah goes, man, um, I, I don't know what to think of him, but I can't find minutes for him. If you can't find minutes for Willie Hernan Gomez, because you know, Cantor and O'Quinn are playing so well. Um, I don't know how you can find minutes for Noah, but you have to because if Noah doesn't have a future here, or, or you just can't say I'm going to sit the $70 million man. you got to find a way to build his value up. Don't be the Jets. Don't be all these other New York teams that, you know, kill their, their players' value, and then you got to take pennies on a dollar. You try to show some other team that needs a big man that, hey, this guy can still play and help you. Now, that's a great point, Matt, Mike. Because on the previous show or previous shows, we've also discussed how important it is for them to play Kyle O'Quinn, how important it is for them to play Lance Thomas, how important it is for them to play players that they may want to move because this is the only way that they can bring up their value, you know, and allow the Knicks to move these types of players. But Kuzminskis, you know, he's nobody's idea of a future star, but he is in exactly all the ways that Noah isn't, Matt Mike, a useful player in the modern NBA, in this modern-day NBA. Noah, for his part, is a mummy. The Knicks have less than zero use for his services, and he is perhaps the last tradable player 
in the NBA. He's he's Jacks. He's Phil Jackson's managerial incompetence, and he's you know what I mean he's rendered in a leathery flesh. Now Wayman Kuzminskis, Mad Mike, will cost the Knicks about three million in dead salary this season, plus the torment of being reminded that they're signed to pay Noah more than fifty-five million dollars over the season in the next two. The Knicks could have eased this torment by cutting loose Ramon Sessions, another virtually worthless old guy, but they had to keep him around because they're, you know, because they're giving rotation minutes to Jared Jack, Matt Mike. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't understand why all the venom towards uh Noah. It's not like we we didn't know this day was coming. As a matter of fact, if I if I was going to spew any any uh hate towards anybody it's got to be towards steve mills because the knicks signed all these other guys if you and and i know i've been positive about it but if if you want to look at the one negative the knicks knew that they were they were going to have this roster crunch right the knicks went and signed uh ramon sessions to this guaranteed deal they quickly realized that ramon sessions was a bad signing, and they went and got, you know, insured themselves with, with uh, Jared Jack, who, by the way, didn't have a fully guaranteed contract. So while we killed them for $3 million cap hits, we could also say, hey, um, why didn't they just cut, cut Jared Jack uh, at no cost? Well, it's because it, it wouldn't be cost of dollars. It would be cost of wins. This team has completely turned it around. Um, to a seven and two clip with Jared Jack as a starter, so that tells me then I, I I should be releasing Ramon Sessions, right? Nobody seems to to uh, uh, feel comfortable uh, with him in the rotation. No one seems to be comfortable with his his play on the court. Uh, he couldn't stop the the ball the uh, um, the the dribble penetration and. From what everyone, all the reports that we heard and everybody you talk to within the organization, they say that he dribbles too much, that he was missing open guys and not necessarily uh, his pass um, being the, the leading assist for the bucket. But he was missing the pass that would have lent, you know, led to the pass to the bucket. So as a point guard, um, you know, he just wasn't getting it done. He wasn't putting anybody in the right position. That's the guy I would have cut. But. Uh, if we want to talk about Kuz, let's also go back to the fact that they signed Tim Hardaway Jr. They traded for Doug McDermott. They had Lance Thomas. So Kuzmiskis now becomes, you know, a, a trade chip. And because teams already see that you have this this uh, rotation crunch, this minute crunch, who's going to trade for him? The, the Lakers are, are said to want him, but is Magic Johnson going to go and give you an asset for a guy that he's going to be able to pick up on waivers? And, and Chicago as well is looking at him, and and they're not going to give you anything because they know that they now can sign him. Well, there's no doubt that he's going to be signed by somebody. And although, again, I don't think he's going to be a star, I think he's going to be a serviceable, play, a serviceable player and a much better serviceable player than Joakim Noah. But like you said, you know, you're paying a man $70-plus million. It's a mistake that was made. You got to lie in the bed, as they say. And, you know, they're going to have to play him. You just can't sit $70-plus million on a bench and get nothing out of him. So I don't know what the rotation is going to be. I don't know what's going to happen. The Knicks are playing really good basketball right now. They beat the Sacramento Kings, a team that they should beat the other night at the Garden. And, you know, we say that these teams that the Knicks have been beating, Matt Mike, and you, you know, uh, show it to a goal. You brought up a stretch of teams that the Knicks had to play. The Orlando Magic, the Sacramento Kings, you know, the Utah Jazz, 
the Brooklyn Nets, the Indiana Pacers. These are teams that the Knicks can either be worse than or be better than. These are teams that, you know, people may not feel are that much better than the Knicks talent-wise. You know, so that pendulum could swing either way. And at this particular point in time, the Knicks are beating those teams. And they're beating some pretty good teams as well as they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers also. So Frank Nittalikina, he's been playing solid, you know, at the point guard spot. And one thing that I will say that he does really well is he's a great facilitator. He seems to have a grasp on the offense that's being ran. And he seems to set his teammates up for good shots. I would just like to see him shoot the ball a little bit more. Sometimes I see Jeff Hornacek on the sideline yelling at him, telling him to shoot. But when you're a pass first point guard and you're in a selfish point guard, which he seems to be, you know, sometimes you pass up shots that you should shoot. So, you know, I see I see some good things in him, but I would like to see, you know, a little bit more of him shooting the ball when he's open, you know, but I get why he doesn't do it. But I would just like to see him shoot the ball a little bit more. But he has been playing really well as of late, man, Mike. I give credit where credit is due. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it's hard to ask him to shoot more, and and not that he's a he's a pass first point guard. I think um, just from what I see, not not that anyone has confirmed this, but just from what I see, I don't think the Knicks are asking uh, for for you know scoring production from their point guard position, you know, to begin with. I know that that uh, Hornacek is is imploring him to shoot, and he's he, he's asking him you know to 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 generate more of his own offense for himself, but. Look at Jared Jack. I mean, if we're if we if we're saying that they brought in the veteran point guard to mentor him, and he's watching, you know, these other point guards, it's not like we brought offensive, you know, juggernauts in to run our point guard system and show him how, how to score and and be as aggressive. So, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to to when 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 Jared when he comes in, I see a, a better version of Jared Jack. You know, he's playing better defense uh, for a guy that's only playing 19 minutes a game. He's averaging five assists a game. That tells me that, that uh, you know, he is looking to, to pass the ball and facilitate the offense more. But like you said, I would like to see him shoot the ball. I mean, he's got three games. He's played uh, 10 games this year, and, and only uh, three of them does he have more than five shots. Right, so, and, he's, um, and he's not going through the free, going to the free throw line a lot. So I would like to see him get to the free throw line a little bit better. But one thing I will say about Jared Jack and earlier, early on in Jared Jack's career, I tell you this much, that boy could put that ball in that basket. You know, he's not the same player, and he's a completely different player now, and I think he's adapting to the type of player that he is now as to the player that he used to be, and kudos to him for doing that. You know, and, and that was like, you know, to bring up baseball with C.C. Sabathia. Remember, there was a period where C.C. Sabathia, you know, he had struggles, but now he's adapted you know, to the CC that doesn't throw 95, 96, 97 miles an hour no more. You know, his his fastball tops out in the low 90s, and he's adjusted to that, and he had a really good season this year. But going back to basketball, King James made a comment about Frank Nittalikina saying that the Knicks should have went with Dennis Smith Jr. instead of Frank Nittalikina as Cleveland comes in to the Garden later on this, this evening, man, Mike, to play against the Knicks. Yeah, uh, I, I think this is LeBron James making it hard for New Yorkers to cheer for him. Um, he, for some reason, he he's just—I don't know if 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 it's his 
lack of, you know, respect for Phil Jackson. I don't know what it is, but we're talking about him clowning the team last year, him flipping bottles on the court, him causing Michael Rappaport to almost have a freaking heart attack in, uh, in one of his own rants against him. Um, I, I think he's off base this time. I think he's out of bounds. Um, he, he shouldn't have, have mentioned this. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, his best friend is praising Frank Nilakina and saying the Knicks got a steal. LeBron basically agreed with him. And um, now this week he's saying that that we should have drafted uh, Dennis Smith Jr., which I think is just a, a, a another shot at him taking uh, another shot at Phil Jackson. I mean, they're two different players. You know, one, Dennis Smith Jr. is playing 10 minutes more, you know, a game. He's already played more than 115 minutes on the season than, than Frank does. That's two full basketball games, 48 minutes each. You know, um, they just ask him to do different stuff. I mean, you know, I'll give you an example, just just from a, a nerdy numbers perspective. Uh, yesterday, uh, or Saturday night's game against Cleveland, Dennis Smith Jr. had 16 shots. Frank Nilakina completed the, the Knicks' entire week with only 14 shots. So they're definitely being asked to do two different things. And when you say stuff like that, you, you kind of, you, you know, you're LeBron James. You control the perception of a situation just with your words. Now, now you you you're a player as well. It's your job to respect your constituents. You know what I mean? The other players. That, that's your job. You when you say this is a tough this this is not an easy job. I know how, how difficult it is to go and perform. Uh, you shouldn't be saying things like that. You shouldn't be so cavalier with your comments. You know, Frank is is where he belongs and he's playing really good here. And I'm sure there's things like playing defense that Frank is excelling at that Dennis Smith Jr. isn't excelling at. Now, I will say one thing that I am pleasantly happy with, Matt Mike, is that the Knicks were very upset about the comments that LeBron James made and they rallied to their teammates' defense. You know, after the after the ruckus of LeBron James claiming that the team drafted the wrong point guard. But, you know, Nidalekina seemed disturbed. You know, as he, you know, as as he would, would, you know, LeBron James ripped his, you know, choice of socks or whatever. But in life, people could think whatever they want. You know, Little Lakina said after practice, you know, and he also said, Alvin, it's not going to affect us and him. So whatever is said, whatever people think, me and the team are just going to get focused on what we're doing every day and try to improve. Now, I think that's really, you know, for him to be 19 years old, Mad Mike, and for him to handle this situation and say the things that he said, you know, that shows, you know, that playing that year over there in Europe as a professional has really helped him. You know, and he's further along the curve than maybe your average 19-year-old basketball player that comes out of high school, you know, or maybe one year out of college, per se. You know, so he also said that we're going to go to this game and play like every other game. He said we're going to be competitive play hard, play aggressive. So, you know, the, the, the European Brad Nittalakina went eighth in the draft, you know, and the Mavericks grabbed Smith. Now, Nittalakina has averaged 4.4 points and five assists, and the Knicks is seven and five, and Smith has averaged 14, almost 15 points a game and five assists, but the Mavericks are 211, Matt, Mike. Yeah, well... Now, now we come back to to that comment that um, LeBron's buddy makes about Frank. Right, Frank is always going to put guys in in positions to to make a play. 
the pass is always going to go to the right to the right place. He might not make the 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 the, the assist, but he's going to make the pass that leads to the assist. Where Dennis Smith Jr. You know, we're talking about an individual talent, right? Or, or, or in my my opinion, there's there's too too much one on one. There's too much. I'm gonna get mine. There's too much. You know, look at it this way: Frank Milikina averages 19 minutes a game and has five assists, right? But he's averaging five assists a game and, and uh, two steals a game. Dennis Smith Jr. is averaging under one steal a game and he's averaging five assists in 10 more minutes. He started 11 games this year. Frank has started zero. So when we're talking about making the team better, I think Frank Frank is checking you know every box that has to be checked. I I, I don't see why else we need to have this conversation because LeBron James said it. LeBron knows what he was doing. LeBron was just adding pressure onto this kid before they come in tonight. Yeah, I just wanna I just wanna let the listeners know exactly what LeBron James said, and this is quote LeBron James said the Knicks passed. On a really good one. And Dallas got the diamond in the rough. He should be a Nick. That's going to make some headlines. But he should be a Nick. I've been with him for so long now. And I've been noticing his talent level. So that's what King James said. You know. as with, About Dennis Smith Jr. You know. Being a New York Nick. Or his comments towards the Knicks. Should you know. Uh, passed, you know. Should have passed up on Nittle Kena And drafted Dennis Smith Jr. You know, so I, I give the the Knicks kudos for rallying behind their teammate. And at the end of the day, right now, the situation is what it is. Frank Nilekina is a Nick. Dennis Smith Jr. is a Maverick, and Malik Monk is a you know he's with the with the with Charlotte. So, you know, this, this is the, you can't redo it. The draft is done. It can't be redone. You know, and this is who the Knicks you know have to deal with. And you know, hopefully they have to mold them and shape them into a point guard. You know that can facilitate no, I, this offense. I, I, I don't see that's that's where we disagree. I don't think the Knicks need to mold him into anything. Maybe Dallas needs to to mold uh, Dennis Smith Jr. into a point guard. Well, when I Dennis watch Smith games, Jr. sounding like a like a scorer to he, me, not a point guard. He's a rookie, so I mean, there's there's mistakes. When I what I mean by mold him, obviously there's things that he has to learn. He's 19, so you know Jeff Hornacek. Like I said, when I see him come off the off the court, if there's some things that he doesn't do right, I see Jeff Hornacek. Talking to him. I see Jared Jack talking to him. When he's on the court and he doesn't do something right, I see Jeff Hornacek letting him know what he doesn't do right. So that's what I mean by mold him into the type of player that he needs to be. You know, the NBA game and the European game are two completely different things. So he's going to have to learn how to do things in certain situations in the NBA game that he may not have to do in a European game. So that's why it's important, you know, for the neophyte to be taught things. You know, so that's the great thing. You know, he seems to be willing to listen, and I don't see him getting upset. I see him nodding his head, and from what I see him saying and the things that he's saying, he's going to continue to work better and be a better player in the NBA. And, you know, that's a great thing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's, it's uh, not for nothing, but this entire rookie class has been suspect. We, 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 you know, everybody was boasting about the talent coming out of this rookie class. Markel Fultz, hmm, I don't know. Uh, 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 Lonzo Ball, having the worst 12 games any rookie has ever had shooting-wise in the history of this game. Um, you, you know, we can go down the line. We just saw, what, what was this kid's name, Jonathan Isaac? We just saw him last week, Wednesday, in Orlando. Um, Malik Monk, who, who, was, who was red hot Monday while... Uh, he had Jared Jack and Cordelyn Lee on him, and then 
as soon as they put Frank in on Monday night, let's 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 talk about the defense again, right? Malik Monk scored zero points in the fourth quarter with with Frank on him. So this this entire rookie class has been pretty suspect. I, I just it, it irks me that LeBron picked this kid to to be the one that he wants to talk about. You know, with with all the Lonzo Ball and Levar Ball and, and all all that stuff, this is the kid that he he decided he wanted to to put down or. or you, you know, I know he said he, he wasn't putting him down. He was he was bigging up one. Nah, come on, man. This is the guy that you chose to, to take a shot at. That's what pisses me off. And I'm happy that it pissed off our New York Knicks because they spoke up. And for the first time in a long time, uh, we, we had guys that actually had the, the, the cojones to, to freaking tell LeBron time to shut up. You know, none of that happened when Melo, his best friend, was here. We finally have guys that are like, you know what, don't come in here with that. Right, so I'm excited to see what's going on. With this game laying on this evening, as this is another test for these young Knicks. But moving on to the Brooklyn Nets, who've been playing okay basketball. But I would like to say that D'Angelo Russell, he's really playing. He's been playing really good basketball, Matt Mike. And he suffered the injury. And that leaves a hole at the Nets point guard. You know, as he's been their best player. You know, D'Angelo Russell, he's come roaring out of the gate during the first four weeks of the season. With the Nets, he's averaging a, a career-high 21 points per game. However, while the rookie who replaced him in Los Angeles, you know, was putting <laughs> the finishing touches, you know. And, and listen, here's the thing. They made such a big deal about him recording a triple-double Saturday night. You know, I just don't get it. Like, the bottom line is that he's not playing. Lonzo Ball is not playing good basketball. But it's like whenever he does something well, Matt Mike, it's flashing news and it's headlines, you know, but the injury occurred with Russell as he drove to the basket and tried to pull up, you know, with three minutes remaining and he grimaced and he hobbled to the bench. And for a franchise that dealt with Jeremy Lin's ruptured patella tendon on opening night, you know, that gave the Nets fans a scare. And, you know, the but the worst fears were alleviated when Russell was diagnosed, you know, when he was diagnosed with a left knee contusion. So it seemed like he's going to be out. That long, Matt Mike, but they really need D'Angelo Russell to be successful, you know, to 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 win games. This team really needs him. Yeah, they do. But you you got to This is basketball, man. You can't play with these bone bruises. He he's got a, a knee contusion, which is a, a bone bruise, and we we know just from. And I give you a, a perfect example. Um, in a different sport, Carlos Beltran played for the New York Mets with a bone bruise. It was thought to be just a bone bruise, and it ended up leading him to to, to years of knee injuries and knee surgeries, microfracture. You, you got to take your time with this. I know Jeremy Lin is hurt; um, he's out for the year. I know that that the point guard position for the for for these guys is now you know questionable. But it's not like you were playing to con to contend anyway. You know, you take your time with this one. Make sure you, he gets all the way back healthy, and, and you go from there. The, what, what I'm kind of interested in, in in is, uh, you know, there's been some trade rumors uh, that uh, they're looking to move Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Um, I think that's pretty interesting because uh, th this guy, he's kind of like a, 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 you know, he can do it all. He's he can't do it all great. But he does it all above average. And with Alan, um, Alan Crabb uh, stepping up and kind of coming into his own. And, and, you know, the Nets have been on Alan Crabb for two years already. So, you know, while we're all kind of shocked with, with his numbers and, and how decent he's been in limited minutes, um, they're not. 
you know, they, they offered him that, that huge contract that, that Portland uh, decided to match and then eventually traded for him. So, you know, they got their guy. So now maybe they can get a little bit more for Hollis Jefferson, maybe a late first-round pick. Um, maybe they get a point guard. You know, maybe they can move him for a point guard and, and kind of uh, allow D'Angelo Russell that time to get back. And, you know, he could take his time and get healthy and then get back on the court. I like what I see from the Nets. Um, they're fighting. Uh, I know that they got blown out uh, by the Denver Nuggets this week. I mean, they they struggled with uh, Jokic. Um, could yeah. barely they, they couldn't contain him. But um, we're talking about one of the best big men, if not the best and most skilled big man in the league, and that's coming from a guy who cheers for KP on on a you know every other night basis. Yeah, they also got oh. spanked by the Utah Jazz as well. And without Russell, you know that's going to leave Isaiah Whitehead and Karis LeVert. You know, the Locks starting minutes at the point guard. And conversely, the Nets' inauspicious struggles are another dose of good news for the subtly surging Cavaliers. And, and the Cavaliers own the Nets' unprotected first-round pick. And that pick has been tossed around like a hot potato over the last few seasons, Mad Mike. You know, but listen to this. The Nets, the Nets have to play the Boston Celtics, the Golden State Warriors, and then they go on a road to face the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm going to say ouch, ouch, and ouch. Yeah, I, I think uh, they'll be 5-11 and 11 after the, that streak, um, which is cool for us, right? Because it just uh, <laughs> it, it puts some space in between the Knicks and the Nets. So uh, the, Net, the Knicks will be that much further away from last place where everybody thought they'd eventually be, just making uh, everybody look like fools yet again. Well, I'm still holding out hope, people, listeners, that the Knicks will only win 20 to 25 games. How about that one for you? But uh, I, I got 35-40. <laughs> got 35-40. All right, let's move on to some good news, Mad Mike. As the New York Yankees have two silver sluggers on their roster, Aaron Judge winning a silver slugger award for the best hitting outfielder, Right field, I'm sorry, in the American League. And Gary Sanchez won the award for the best hitting catcher in the American League. Two deserved awards, I must say. And I also want to add that I feel that Aaron Judge was robbed as he didn't earn a Gold Glove Award. Hopefully we can have Joe come on the show next week as the MVP Awards, Cy Young Awards, etc., etc. will be handed out this week so he can give us his opinion on, you know, if he was okay with the choices or not okay with the choices and why. But, you know, congratulations to Gabby Sanchez and Aaron Judge on winning Silver Slugger Awards at their positions, respectively. Much deserved to the both of them, man, Mike. Yeah, I mean, um, like we said, we, we, we knew Aaron Judge would win a Silver Slugger Award because there, there wasn't a better right fielder um, in baseball. And, and I, I mean that uh, Bryce Harper, hear me? Uh, not a better right fielder in all of baseball this year, defensively and offensively. Uh, Hal Steinbrenner, you hear me? Not a better right fielder in baseball this year. Save your $400 million. We don't need the kid with the crazy hair and the left-handed bat. We got Judge. Now, Gary Sanchez, my man. Dude, best offensive catcher in baseball. Maybe... Uh, best offensive catcher in baseball in the AL, maybe in baseball. Uh, I'm still a huge fan of Buster Posey. Still think Buster Posey is, uh, um, even though he's getting up there in age, think he's uh, he he's still the guy there. 
Um, power numbers are down, but average still above three, well above 300. RBIs would be higher if, uh, you know, San Fran didn't suck so much. So um, he's well on his way, though. So we're Yankee fans, we got a lot to be excited about from that standpoint. Um, thank you, Alex Rodriguez, for turning Gary Sanchez season around. Thank you, uh, Alex Rodriguez, for convincing Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman that uh, Joe Girardi didn't know what he was looking at and Aaron Judge was going to be a star. Well, I'll tell you this much, you know, they, they this not let's also throw out the fact, man, Mike, that Sanchez missed quite a few games this year. You know, yeah, so roughly he, a month. Yeah. So I mean, if you factor that in as well, you know, this this kid and he's young. So, you know, I, I agree with you on the Buster Posey, and that's probably because Buster Posey is the old man, you know, he's the old man in the cabin right now. You know, he's been around the block a few times. But, you know, the, the potential for Sanchez for him to get better, you know, we could be witnessing, you know, one of the greatest catchers to ever play the game right now. You know, I'm pretty much a lot of people are worried about his defense. But, you know, he hopefully he can get better at that. And I think he will get better at that. You know, this, you know people seem to forget, you know, that he's a young kid. You know, he's, he's not in the league for 10-plus years. You know, if, if that was the case, then maybe I would be worried. But I'm really not that worried because he's young and he can always get better. But he has to, you know, he has to want to get better. And you're right, you know, surrounding him around people that he respect and people, you know, that's willing to teach him, you know, that that can only be better for him. So congratulations again to Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge. And hopefully we'll be congratulating Aaron Judge again on winning the Rookie of the Year and MVP award, Matt Mike. Yeah, well, we'll definitely be... Congratulating him for winning Rookie of the Year. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, we're also talking about an MVP trophy. Yeah, again, you know, I have this theory about baseball. You know, we was talking about this earlier before the show. I seem to think that it's a baseball conspiracy where they just don't want to give a player a boatload of awards, even though they deserve it. You know, and, and I'll let the... You know, I'll let you give the listeners your opinion on that as well. But I just think for some reason, you know, Major League Baseball just, they just can't give one per- one person an award. It's like they got to spread the wealth somehow amongst other players, even players that are not so deserving of awards. But, you know, I, I hope they do right by this young man. I hope the, 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 the writers that have votes do right by this young man, Aaron Judge. You know, there's no way in the world that this young man shouldn't win the MVP and Rookie of the Year awards. Yeah, well, you know how I feel. I just think that there there's a certain level of Yankee bias uh, amongst voters. And, you know, I, I always go back to the Ichiro beating Jeter for the MVP, which happened to be the same year that Ichiro won the MVP and Rookie of the Year, which we're now saying Judge can't do. I always go back to them saying that um, – Hideki Matsui wasn't really a, a rookie. He was he was really a veteran playing his first year in Major League Baseball, and he loses Rookie of the Year to Angel Baroa. Um, all the years that they told you that a closer shouldn't qualify for Cy Young, and then they go and give uh, Eric Gagne the Cy Young Award. Uh, Mo never got one. Uh, the year that uh, Morneau beats out Derek Jeter for the MVP, I can go on and on and on and on, my friend. Um, the year CC his first year here where he loses uh, – what did he win? 22 games and he loses the Cy Young Award because they hold his uh, 3-1 ERA against him as if a 3-1 ERA in the American League East was something to sneeze at. 
once again, I just feel that there's a bias. And, and maybe the bias is more due to me being a, a Yankee fan. But um, we can look over all of those excuses and, and how they found reasons to give them to, to other people. Well, I will say this much, and I want your thoughts on this real quick before we go to a commercial break, Matt Mike. Two names that were thrown, or two players, two former Yankees that wouldn't mind taking, you know, get throwing their hats in the ring for the managerial position were David Cohn and Aaron Boone. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't be mad if David Cohn was named the manager of the Yankees. I don't think he's going to get the job. But I wouldn't be mad if he was actually given the job. What are your thoughts on those two names, you know, uh, as far as, you know, would you be okay or who would you want of the two to be the next man, uh, Yankee manager or would you want neither one of them to be? Well, if you recall, when we had Joe on the show, um, I did mention Aaron Boone's name came up. And I, I, Aaron Boone, you know, comes from a baseball family and his dad was a manager at one time. Um Everybody seems to think that he's really smart, um, even though he doesn't play the game anymore. Aaron Boone never left the game. He stayed around the game, uh, calling the games on ESPN. So he's still involved. He's very analytical. Um, so that's what the Yankees are looking for. He seems like he understands players. He he, he was always easy going here. Um, he understood struggles. Remember, uh, he he. I always remember that uh, home run he hit off Wakefield, and then saying how Jeter came to him and said, "Listen, your time will come. Stay ready, stay ready." So he understands the ups and downs. He the ultimate highs and ultimate lows of New York. So um, who better to teach? I guess you know uh, from a, a from a value and experience standpoint. You know, I'm okay with Aaron Boone and David Cohn. If if you watch the Yankee broadcast and, and you listen to him talk, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. You know, the, 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 there's times where he's like, you know, the Yankees are, are shifting, but they're calling for outside pitches. So they're shifting to the right side of the field, of the infield, against a left-handed hitter, but they throw the ball outside where he can easily, you know, hit the ball opposite field for a single. So things like that make me say, man, this guy gets it. You know, uh, he's not going to have that. Things like that, or the game will change easily. Um, I'm fine with him, too. Um, um, He he knows both sides of the field. He knows how to pitch, which means he understands hitting as well. Um, Can he, he, you know, uh, communicate with kids? Um, I think he can. He seems easygoing enough. Well, I'll tell you this much. At the end of the day, I have the strangest feeling that whoever the Yankees hire as their next manager, I'm going to be scratching my head. Now, not saying it'll be a bad decision, but I think I'm going to be scratching my head and saying, what the? But with that being said, we're going to take a quick commercial break and come back. Unfortunately, we got to talk about some terrible football that was played by both New York teams when we come back with a short break. We'll be back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike sports talk show what's up ladies and gentlemen this is ao aaron omar baker the producer for the lloyd a thompson and mad mike show just want to say thank y'all for tuning in thank y'all for listening make sure you check out lloydathompson.com and follow him everywhere that's instagram twitter at lloyd a thompson that's it let's get back to the show welcome back to the lloyd a thompson and mad mike sports show Unfortunately, there was some bad football played by both New York teams. And we're going to start off with the New York football Giants, whose defense was a total no-show, again, in a loss to the previously winless winless 49ers. And they made the 49ers 
look like the daggone New England Patriots in the game yesterday, Mad Mike. The truth is, not much below the depths reached on Sunday when they came out flat for the second week in a row. Gave us explosive... Sky I, I, oh, man, please just... Mike, give me... <laughs> Whoo! Once upon a time, Willie Randolph went on a West Coast trip with the New York Mets, and the New York Mets fired him on the way back. And that's exactly what should happen today. Ben McAdoo, after the week he's had, after all the anonymous quotes from players saying that they quit and kind of giving some insight into the way he manages, um, he should not make it back from, from, from today's game or from uh, today's trip home or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, um, that's it. Like, who get, oh, tomorrow, in their, in, in, in their first practice tomorrow for the week, he should not be running practice. That's my take on it. He, as, as a head coach, you got to know your team, right? But you also have to know the dynamics of the locker room. And that's, that's the problem I have here. And, when, when, and sorry, fans, I'm going to do it again. When you go from Green Bay, where Aaron Rodgers runs the show, and you come here to New York, you're now the, the front guy, right? You're now Tom Coughlin. You need to understand that when you don't hold an offensive player accountable, you can't hold the defensive player accountable. That's why he lost this team. And I'll give you another example. I saw today, uh, uh, um, yesterday, I saw examples where Sterling Shepard, you know, it looks like Eli Manning overthrows him. But he actually comes, pulls up. He, he grabs his, his hamstring as if he hurt his hamstring, but he ends up playing the whole game. He was just trying to find a reason because he dogged it and got caught dogging it because he didn't think a ball was coming his way. When Odell Beckham Jr. is your mentor, that happens. When your head coach doesn't hold Odell Beckham accountable, that's what happens. That's why he needs to be fired. Well, last week's defeat was humiliating because of the lopsided score. This one, because, this one was because of the opponent. Okay, a little bit because of the score, but mostly because of the opponent. The 49ers' first victory of the season leaves the still winless Browns as the only team in the NFL that can say they are worse than these Giants. This loss leaves the Giants at 1-8, tying the 1980 team for the worst start in franchise history, Matt Mike. They got the Chiefs at home this coming Sunday. And they, they're probably going to get stomped out by the Chiefs. You know, the Giants spoke earnestly this week about not quitting on Ben McAdoo, but they did not back that up on the field. Some leaders even suggested in the locker room in recent days that the Giants came out, they were listless against the 49ers, and that they would acknowledge the issue. There was plays that Janoris Jenkins didn't seem like he wanted to tackle anybody. This team, I, this team completely quit on the field. The only bright spot was Damian, was Snacks Harris. He played well. No, no, wait, wait, bright spot. Harrison got carted off. No, I or mean, he hurt, no, I, he hurt himself. But well, I, well, I, he then played, there's no bright spot. Well, I mean, it's not, but I'm just saying he played well, you know, despite everything else that was going on. You know, Landon Collins, again, these guys, guys that, were had, that had a great season is just so... What's the problem, Matt, Mike? How do you go from a playoff team last season to a 1-8 team this year? And I get it. Injuries are part of the problem, but it's more than that. 
And I think no, that- it, it's it's more than that, Lloyd. And, and you know, fans don't want to hear it. You got uh, you got to be honest with yourself. What kind of divide did that boat trip cause in that locker room? That defense was lights out last year. That, that those receivers went on that boat trip. They posted this, you, you know, these pictures. They come out and they lay an egg. You know, they come out in Green Bay with their shirts off, videotaping everything, like they're about it, about it. And then all of a sudden, they, they, they're dropping passes. None of them can live up to the pressure that they created themselves. All the extra expectations that they put on themselves with that trip. And it seems to me that that the offense and defense have never seen eye to eye since. The offense has never forgiven Ben McAdoo for not holding guys accountable. The Giants did cut Victor Cruz and kind of said, you, you know, insinuated that he wasn't the leader that they needed him to be in that wide receiver room last year. But at the same time, He's playing on a one-year contract. Everybody knows that he's playing for his football life. He, who, who's he going to tell? You, you, who's he going to say something to? Odell Beckham. And then once again, when this year starts and Odell doesn't show up, and Odell comes in and he makes it specifically about the contract, and then he, you, you know, you had the reports. You read the same reports I did, where they said that he was being a drama queen about the ankle injury, where he's walking off and then he's dropping to the floor in agony in front of all these people that knew the cameras were on him, and people actually thought he was faking the injury. And, and once again, we don't know because he ends up breaking the ankle, so we 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 really don't know how serious or not. But we know everything that had taken place. Ben McAdoo never once held an offensive player accountable. Not the way he held his defensive players accountable. You had this week where, where the reports came out that he was fining defensive players. He suspended two defensive players. You're going to lose a locker room. He took How many shots has he taken at Eli Manning? Just last week, he caused the whole the whole controversy with, with the quarterback position. Is he going to bench him? Is he not going to bench him? Is Eli Manning's streak in jeopardy? Is it not in jeopardy? These are the things in the locker room. You know better than I do in, a, in the locker room, in a, in, in a football football setting that the offense and the defense you can cause a rift where, where those two sides of the ball don't even feel like they're playing on the same team anymore i'll say the the, the main defensive culprit on the giants yesterday man mike ironically wasn't eli apple it was janoris jenkins who was suspended last week for, you know who was suspended for last week's debacle and therefore i felt that he has some, you know, he has some quote to made up for. Like, he had to make up for what he did. He let his teammates down. You know, so I felt he was going to come out, and I thought he was going to play hard for the entire football game. Well, this Pro Bowl quarterback, he was beat deep on an 83-yard touchdown catch by Marquise Goodwin. He whiffed on an open field tackle that could have stopped Garrett Selleck from scoring a 47-yard touchdown late in the second quarter. And he missed on a one-arm tackle on Carlos Hyde, you know, for a 21-yard run in the third quarter. You know, you, I don't get. I, I was talking to my cousin the other day, and I was telling him that it's such a shame that NFL players, professional players, do not know the art of tackling. They don't know the art of tackling, Matt Mike. I can go out on the football field. I'm I'm 5'7", I'm 220 pounds, and I guarantee you, Ezekiel Elliott wouldn't run me over. I No running back in this damn NFL will run me over. I guarantee you that. Because it's a technique. It's a technique. 
when you see a running when you see a ball player coming towards you, you then go towards the player. And as you're about to make contact with the player, it's called breaking down. You break down, you square yourself up, and you make the tackle. Simple as that. I'm sick and tired of seeing giant players and seeing NFL players, for that matter, not keep their head up when tackling, tackling with one arm, missing guys, guys leaping over other players. That's just not football, man, Mike. And the Giants were... Poor, well, poor tackling team in yesterday's game, and Janoris Jenkins was the biggest culprit of that. Well, first of all, Janoris Jenkins is, is, is done. Like I said, we, we just had this conversation. Uh, I mean, uh, he's one of the guys you suspended. He's clearly one of the guys you find, and he's clearly one of the guys that have given up on, on, on the coach. But at the same time, let's say this, you, you are you're over here preaching about, about tackling, and the Giants don't have a defensive coach anymore. The Giants don't don't have a coach that values fundamentals. They have an offensive guru, right? They have a guy who understands the ins and outs of the offensive game plan, not defensive. So I'm sure that the Giants are not spending as much time doing the little things like breaking down and wrapping up, as you mentioned. It's just I, I can guarantee you it's not happening. And, and not, not only that, once again, uh, we we know we we know they don't have to tell us. We know that 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 it's it's a tale of two teams right now. It's a defensive team and an offensive team, and and nobody on that defense wants to hear what anybody on the offensive side of the ball is is preaching, especially the head coach. Well, it wasn't only the defense that stymied the that stymied the Giants. Eli Man in the second quarter, I don't know what the heck this guy was doing as he was being brought down for a sack. For some reason, Mad Mike, this this guy decided to flip the ball forward. <laughs> and the fumble was deep in the 49ers territory, prevented the Giants from building on their 6-3 edge, you know, at the time of the game. And the 49ers, you know, the 49ers turned that takeaway around and turned into an 83-yard touchdown pass, Mad Mike. I keep yeah, on saying good. over and over again. I'm sorry, Mad Mike. I, I let me I, I keep on saying over and over again that Eli Manning is the most immobile quarterback in NFL, and he has no damn pocket presence at all. I was looking at that play, and I was like, what in the heck? And I don't want to use the word heck, but I have to use the word heck because of the listeners. I had no idea what he was doing. He didn't wrap the ball. Nah, man, he was trying to – he didn't want to take a sack in field goal range and move the Giants back. The problem was he didn't have a good enough grip on, grip on the ball after taking the, the, the initial contact where he could make, uh, you, you know, uh, a clean or clear uh, forward movement or pass attempt, and the ball ended up coming out underhanded as a fumble opposed to, to overhand as an incomplete pass. Um, it, you know what that is, man? One, that that's the case of a veteran quarterback's got to be a lot smarter with the ball. Um, but we're talking about Eli Manning, who, who who is pretty cavalier with the ball. He, he's among the league leaders since he came in the league in uh, turnovers. But that's also, it, it's just, it, it's a guy trying to do too much. It, it, it's him saying, I, I guess in his head, points are at a premium. And he doesn't want to take the sack uh, potentially taking them out of field goal range. And I'm over here being an Eli Manning apologist, and I'm not even a Giant fan. Um, 
but it, it, it really didn't work out. It blew up in his face. In the end of the day, he probably should have just taken the sack, uh, moved them out, potentially out of field goal range. But then, hey, if your kicker misses it, me and you are having a different conversation where you're saying the kicker has to make the kick, and then Eli Manning is off the hook. So, you know, it's just it is what it is at that point. It's a guy trying to do too much um, for a losing team, and and you have seasons like this. Man, Mike, I I mean, I'm not buying that apology that you kind of threw out there for Eli Manning because when he fumbled that ball, they weren't on the 45-yard line. They were deep in 49ers territory. He had enough time. If he had pocket presence, like I was saying, the guy wrapped his arm around him and was bringing him down, and instead of him covering the damn ball with two hands, he decides to hold on to the ball with one hand and flick the ball forward. I don't, it wasn't even nobody in the area. So even if he was trying to toss the ball with somebody, there was nobody there. So just hold on to the ball and take the damn sack. And if the field goal kicker misses the field goal, then he misses the damn field goal. Because I've seen Rojas make 40-plus yard field goals before. So do the right thing. You're not a playmaker. Eli Manning is not a playmaker. So if you're not I, a playmaker... I tend, to dis- I tend to disagree with you. He's not a playmaker. Uh, his playmaking how, ability is how why is he you a playmaker, man, Mike? When have you ever seen Eli Manning extend any damn play outside of that Super Bowl throw to, Tyre- to, to um, David Tyree? Hey, you got a Super Bowl Cam ring Newton because is, Eli Cam turned is into a playmaker. playmaker. You can't listen. You guys can't have it both ways, right? Listen, you you that, can't that, praise the man for the play de- and then listen, tell me he's my not. Either he is. My or he definition. Isn't. My definition of a playmaker, Matt Mike, is not somebody who throws the damn ball. That's your job to throw the ball. Your job is to throw the ball. To me, a playmaker is somebody that does something outside of what their job is to do. So a playmaker is if you throw me a ball for five yards and I got to go 10 yards where I'm going to make one man miss, I'm going to make another man miss, and I'm going to lower my shoulder and run somebody over and get the first down. That's a playmaker. A playmaker is somebody that when the pocket breaks down, they manage to get out of the pocket, move around, maneuver to either sideline, keep the play going, and find somebody down the field. That's a playmaker. A playmaker is not somebody who throws a pass and falls down when they think they're going to get sacked and it's getting uh, and is about to be sacked and they flip the ball forward. That's not a playmaker to me. He's not a playmaker. And the Giants, I, I'm hearing talks that the Giants are looking at these two quarterbacks, the quarterback from USC, and I forgot where the other young man is from. You know, but UCLA. You said, but the Giants have to deal with Eli Manning for a few more years. So why are you going to bring in another quarterback, Matt Mike, that's going to sit behind Eli Manning? If you're going to bring somebody in, or if you're going to waste a high draft pick on somebody like that, it has to be somebody that's going to play the following year. I say give this kid David Webb a chance. I mean, you don't want to, you know, you want to keep Eli Manning's streak alive. Let Eli Manning play a quarter. And then let Davis Webb play the rest of the game. This team is going nowhere, Matt Mike. So nah, Dave- but, but 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 this is where you're wrong. One, you do draft one of these quarterbacks high because for two reasons. One, you never know when you're going to have the chance to to be up in the top again if everything hits the way you think it should. Remember, you, you think you're a Super Bowl, you were a Super Bowl contender this year, and you're having an awful year for whatever the reason may be. If you think that Eli Manning was capable of winning a Super Bowl this year, that means that Eli Manning is capable of winning a Super Bowl next year. The one good thing about using a pick on Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold, uh, both guys who I'm not even sold on, 
for various reasons. Maybe we can do a, a college football preview show one day for or a draft show for, for the listeners, um, and I'll give you my reasons then. But the perfect time to, to develop these guys is now under somebody like Eli Manning. The one mistake the Jets always make is the Jets draft guys, and then there, there's no – I mean, you have Christian Hackenberg and Petty learning behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who clearly wasn't about the team, he was about himself. And now they come in here and they're, 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 they're learning behind Josh McCown, who might not be there next year, right? So they're constantly learning – they're learning behind a revolving door where the Giants actually have a chance to – usher in, you know, these these uh, potential new quarterback behind Eli Manning who can show them everything. This is what it means to be a giant. This is what it means to be a professional. This is what it takes to be a Super Bowl champion. It's a big difference. It's a big, big difference. Now, in saying that, um, I will say this. I don't want to see anything from Davis Webb. I, I You know, this is a third-string quarterback. I don't understand how the third-string quarterback all of a sudden is the answer to the, all the Giants' problems. The third-string quarterback, a one-year starter in the Pac-12, where notoriously they don't play any defense. You see what I'm saying? It, 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 we don't have enough educated people watching this game. All these people calling for, for, for this kid and all these other, they don't pay attention to all the details. He's just the new hot name. He's the new hot-ish on the block, and that's um, who, who we're calling for. If it was anybody else and they did the homework, we wouldn't want that kid in there right now. We'd understand he's nowhere close to ready. Eli Manning is is the Giants quarterback for this year, next year, and maybe the year after. Well, that's why I say they don't draft any of those quarterbacks. It wouldn't make sense for them to pick a quarterback that high if that's the case. And I believe that that's the case. So in turn, you look elsewhere and you get your quarterback. When you think Eli Manning is in his final season or he has one more season to go, that's when you draft the future. And they drafted Davis Webb in the third round, and I'm assuming that they drafted him for a reason. So why not see what you have? Because this season is no more. This season is completely over. They're not with, you yeah, know. You know, wait, wait a minute. Once upon a time, they drafted Ryan Nassib in the third round, and he turned out to be nothing. So let's not give him credit just because they took a kid in the third round. I'm not giving him right. credit, but at least you saw what Ryan Nassib had. They didn't even play this kid in the preseason. He didn't even get that much burn in the preseason. So you don't know what he has. But what I'm saying, instead of wasting a pick on a kid that you're not going to play, why even why draft him then? Why use your third-round pick on somebody that you're not going to give an opportunity to see what you have from him? Use that pick on the damn offensive lineman that you need. Use that pick on the linebacker that you need. Use that pick on the corner. Use that pick on something that you can use outside of a quarterback who you have or who you say that the Giants have that's going to be there for another three years. It makes no sense to me. So being the at the Giants... The problem is there's no... If you're looking at the top of the draft, there's no real top-level, top three linemen in, in the draft. There's no top Listen, I said, three I'm saying third round, man, draft. Mike. I, and I'm talking about last year. I'm not talking about this year. This year, this is why I'm saying the, Nick, the, the, um, the Giants need to draft Saquon Barkley. I don't know if any, and I watch college football. I don't know if any stud offensive lineman that's coming out of the draft that the Giants should take at number two and number three. But I know there's a stud running back that they need and that they can use that they should take. But what I'm saying is last year when they drafted Davis Webb in the third round, they could have used that pick on something other than a quarterback that they're not even putting in shoulder pads this season. That's what I'm saying, Mad Mike. 
Oh, I get you, but I, but I, I could I could make the same argument to say why didn't you draft the lineman over Evan Ingram? Because Evan Ingram's having a good year, we're gonna say that we needed him, um, or we're gonna overlook the well, fact the, that they the should have took a lineman. Then. The lineman, the short bet lineman that people were saying should have been taken in the first round, they were gone. They were gone. So the the other the other pressing need that the Giants felt they had to address was tight end, and I believe they would have taken Howard from Alabama, but he was off the board. So it came down to Njoku, and it came down to Ingram, and the Giants picked Ingram. They, the offense, it wasn't a strong offensive lineman draft last year either. It wasn't. So when, when the Giants picked the lineman that they would have wanted to take, they were off the board. So they went with the next pressing need, which was tight end. So, again, I just felt that if you're going to draft a quarterback in the third round and not give him any playing time in the preseason and have him – and no helmet and no shoulder pads during the regular season. I get it. You know, uh, Moose Johnson was saying that, you know, Eli Manning gives the Giants the best chance to win. He's correct. And Geno Smith gives the Giants a better chance to win than Davis Webb, which I agree with that as well. Both of them give a better chance for them to win. But at the same time, this team has one damn win. One win. So let's see what he has. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But with news... You know, notes and quotes, man, Mike. Manning tied his brother, Peyton Manning, for the second longest streak, uh, starting consecutive games at 208. Peyton was the, you know, he was at the game. Uh, you saw him and his brother chatting up before the game. Tight end Evan Ingram caught his fifth touchdown pass of the season, a nine-yard touchdown pass in the second quarter to tie the Giants rookie tight end record set by Bob Tucker in 1970. Justin Pugh re-injured his back. He left the game. Bobby Hart came in and replaced him and was giving up sacks left and right. And as I mentioned before, defensive tackle, or you mentioned defensive tackle, Damon Harrison was carted off the field in the fourth quarter with the ankle injury. And you're not, you, you never like to see anybody carted off the field. So that's never a good thing. That's never a good thing at all. Hopefully he's okay. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. But let's move on to the New York Jets, Matt Mike. As the Jets crash back down to earth and kill a playoff hawk with an ugly effort against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tampa Bay. And they got a few tough games coming up, Mad Mike. Yeah, I mean, um, this is uh, Josh McCown shows you why Josh McCown plays for eight teams, right? Because you never know what Josh McCown you're going to get. The Jets offensive line, they didn't block very well, but, um, you know, they didn't run very well. But the issue I have is is the same thing. We've had this conversation during the course of the season, man. And, and John Morton, you, you know, you, you can keep running the ball. But when you see a team ha- is lining up four and four, there's eight in the box, and they're determined to stop the run, you're not going to beat the – you're not going to beat eight in the box by running the ball, you know, calling jet sweeps and, and tosses outside where, where the running back is basically on an island by himself. You're asking him to, to, to basically juke. Um, two, three defenders by himself. It's just not going to happen, man. And then whenever the Jets did call, you know, because they did have 39 pass plays, uh, actually more than that, 39 pass attempts and six sacks, so 45 pass plays, um, Josh McCown was never looking downfield, man. He just wasn't. And, and I heard Adrian Peterson say the same thing on Thursday Night Football against Seattle. They're going to stack the box. The way you open up the run lanes is by taking shots downfield. you got to give them a reason to get out of that 4-4 look. And the Jets didn't do it. Josh McCown didn't do it. 
defense. Now, I will say a week after playing their best game and dancing off the field, the Jets looked like they were sleepwalking through that 15, lo- 15 to 10 loss, Mad Mike. The Jets offense was abysmal. They only gained 276 yards, and 120 of those came off their last two drives against the Buccaneers when the Buccaneers were in prevent mode. So for much of the game, they had more punts than first downs, and they went 3-for-15 on third down. And get this, Mad Mike, the Buccaneers had six sacks in this game. They either had six or more sacks. And going into this game, they only had six sacks during the entire season or nine sacks during the entire season. Eight. So they had eight today, yesterday? Eight. They, they, yeah, they went into the game with eight sacks total on a year and left with 14. That's crazy. That's crazy that this team almost outdid their total output over an amount of games in one game. Nah, it's, 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 you know what, man? But but let's be honest. The Jets had a lot of penalties yesterday. Um, they looked once again. They looked like like they they were unprepared. And um, you know, John Morton showed us yet again. It's it's not his first game where he doesn't adapt. He went in with a game plan. The game plan didn't work from the beginning. The Jets' first six drives, they had four punts. And, and three, three and outs. And I'm sorry. In the first six drive, they had five punts. Uh, no, no, four punts, one interception, and three were three and outs. Uh, that, that's 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 an offensive coordinator that came in and said, "I don't know what I'm going to do if my game plan doesn't work." And he was unable to to adapt. And then they came out of halftime, two three and outs. First two drives, three and outs. First set, all three pass plays. Second set. All three run plays. He had no field. He 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 was an offensive coordinator telling you he didn't have the answers, and and he he was gonna he was gonna live and die with, with his his game plan coming in. He didn't know what to do from there. He had a quarterback that was inaccurate. He had a quarterback that that uh, I, I mean I, I don't even know. I I just saw Josh McCown holding the ball. Like you want to talk about a guy with no pocket awareness? You you want to pick on Eli Manning? Let's talk about Josh McCown. Who who's standing back there for five seconds? There was six sacks, but how many were just on a quarterback holding the ball, uh, you know, trying to scramble, but scrambling the wrong way, feeling pressure from the wrong side when it wasn't there? I, I mean, look, man, I, I'm hard on him, but at the same time, you want to talk about, well, you know, let's see what the other kids got. Uh, listen, four and six is over, man. It's over. It's time for the Jets to start considering the same thing. And being that at least our guys aren't rookies. I don't see why the Jets aren't trying to figure it out. You know, Bryce Petty's going to walk after this year. You better figure it out. And if you're looking at Baker Mayfield or any of these other guys in the first round, then um, you, you better start considering what Christian Hackenberg is. You don't want to use a first-round pick if Christian Hackenberg is better than any of these guys, which I, I, I severely doubt he is. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. At this point, it's time for the Jets to see what they have in those two young quarterbacks. But the Jets enter their bye week, like you said, at 4-6. and six. And like you also said, their playoff hopes are pretty much extinguished. You know, they, you know, they have lost four of their last five games. And this team, Matt Mike, looked nothing like the team that beat the Bills 10 days ago. You know, in the, in the game against the Bills, they nearly rushed for 200 yards. And everything seemed to be clicking offensively. You know, you would figure they would go into this game riding on a high horse. But yesterday, 
They looked like they were operating in slow motion, struggling to find any type of rhythm or establish anything in this game. And I will say that the Jets' defense played well. Obviously, they didn't play well enough because the Jets lost, but it's not like Tampa Bay really outplayed the Jets at all. It's just that the Jets didn't do anything. The Jets didn't do anything offensively. No, they didn't. I mean, you got to look at it. One field goal came off of uh, Bilal Powell's, um, you know, fumble on the 50-yard line. Uh, there, there, there was a few just just – it's just brutal, man. Brutal, brutal. The, the final touchdown for Tampa Bay, you could see the Jets defense was just gassed. You, you know, uh, there, there were points where you could see them, argue, you know, not arguing, but, you know, they get a three and out or, or they, they, they get a punt and they're running off the field and they're telling the offense, let's go, let's go, imploring them. We don't have much left. If you guys, the, the first two drives of the second half, the Jets took Three minutes and 13 seconds to run six plays. Two drives. Three minutes, 13 seconds. The defense was going to run out of gas. We saw the same thing happen in Miami. It's, it's, listen, in New York, it's 40 degrees. Over there in Miami and in Tampa and Florida, it's 80 degrees. You can't ask a defense to be on the field for 40 minutes and not get tired. Not cramp up. I mean, listen, it, it, it's John Morton's got a lot of explaining to do on the, on the, on the flight back. Um, you know, Todd Bowles has to explain why his team uh, look like front runners and why they weren't prepared. This is not the first time we've seen it. Did we not see them go into Cleveland unprepared? This looked like the same exact team that they did in, in Cleveland, right? So is this a team that's playing down to their competition? Well, that's coaching, right? And Todd Bowles, your team is not good enough to play down to any competition. Because in the end of the day, your team can look just as bad as all of these other teams that we're talking about. Well, the Jets have a pretty, they have some tough games coming up, as well as the Giants do. But real quick, let's go over the, the scores of Week 10. As oddly enough, there's only six more games left in the regular season. This NFL season seems to be going by so, so quickly for some reason. But the Seahawks beat the Cardinals 22-16. And they also lost Richard Sherman to an Achilles injury. He's out for the rest of the year. The Tampa Bay Bucks beat the Jets 15-10. The Saints continue to roll as they beat the Buffalo Bills, who continue to founder 47-10. And if the Jets win, they're right back in the thick of things. The Detroit Lions beat the Cleveland Browns 38-24. The Browns remain the only winless team in the NFL. The uh, Tennessee Titans beat the Cincinnati Bengals 24-20. The Packers beat the Bears 23-16. The Jaguars beat the Chargers 20-17. The Vikings beat the Redskins 38-10. The Steelers defeated the Colts 20-17. The Rams beat the Texans 33-7 as the Rams continue to roll. The winless 49ers beat the New York Giants 31-21. The Falcons handled their business against the Cowboys 27-7. And tonight's Monday night game is the Dolphins versus the Panthers. So the Jets have the Panthers this week, Mad Mike, and the Giants have the Kansas City Chiefs this week. Well, I can tell yeah, you what the Giants are going to do. I'd be surprised if the Giants win, but I wasn't expecting them to beat Denver and they went and beat Denver, although Denver is nowhere near as good as Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, let's let's actually 
say what it what it actually is. The Giants only got their first win on the year because uh, Trevor Simeon is is just a horrible, horrible NFL quarterback. You got that right, but. You know, right now I'm happy the 49ers got that win because in a tie in a tiebreaker situation, the Giants now own the second pick in the NFL draft. And going through this abysmal season, I'm ecstatic about that. But I have a feeling, Matt Mike, that they're even going to blow that. Watch what I tell you. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know. I just have a feeling that at some point they'll end up picking fifth or sixth. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. But listeners, that's going to bring us to a conclusion of this week's show. I promise you guys next week, me and the the man Mike is going to fill some of your questions and answer some of your questions. We appreciate you guys continuously sending us questions. And it's unfair to you that we don't air them or discuss them. So I promise you next week, we're going to tackle some of your questions. I would like to thank Mad Mike. For taking time out of his schedule to call in and give his opinion. And me and the Mad Mike would like to thank you, the listeners. Because without you guys, there's no us. Thank you for your support and thank you for continuously listening listening to the program. And we would also like to thank A.O., Omar Baker, our producer, for continuing to get this thing rolling and keep, you know, keep this show going and standing behind us. So with that being said, guys, have a safe and blessed week. And we'll see you in seven days. Ayo! Let's roll, baby! All right, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the conclusion of this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Show. Once again, I just want to say thank y'all for tuning in. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you for sharing and helping to grow the audience of this show. Much appreciated. As always, brand new episodes drop every single Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check out LloydAThompson.com. Make sure you don't miss anything. And follow along on Instagram, on Twitter, at LloydAThompson. That's it. Enjoy your week. Stay safe. Peace.